This special edition of Fix Me a Trick is brought to you by Wild Turkey Bourbon, one of the original Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys. Learn more about this historic brand and the Russell family that has been making it for decades on this episode. Cheers. You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flavier's Head of Cocktails and Spirits. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weintrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing very well. Yourself? I am also well. You know, obviously, we talk about cocktails and all spirits on on this podcast and in our writing, and but very soft spot for bourbon, you know, for both of us. And mm-hmm. when we got into the writing about drinks more than 20 years ago, one of the distillers who I met early on, and I think we both did, was legendary distiller Jimmy Russell from Wild Turkey. He'd been there since, I think he started in September of 1954. Yeah, I met him, I guess, in 2000. So, <laughs> Yeah, he'd, he'd already been there for almost 45 years, give or take. Exactly. He was, and still is, an absolutely memorable person to meet. Oh, my God. A wealth of knowledge. You know, every few years, there's a rumor that he's going to retire. Tributes are planned. Special events are dreamed up. And every time, Jimmy's kind of like, uh, nobody mentioned this to me. Like, I'm not, I'm not, this is, this is wonderful, but I'm not retired. And he's yeah. allowed you know, throughout our careers, one of the constants, as as the whole world of cocktails and spirits has completely mm-hmm. changed and flipped upside down. And all this time, one of the few constants has been Jimmy Russell quietly making bourbon down in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky at Wild Turkey. <laughs> well, you know, there's another there's another constant because on the day I met Jimmy in uh, 2000. I also met his son, Eddie, right? who was working at the distillery. Absolutely. And Eddie has been working for Wild Turkey and looking after Wild Turkey and curating Wild Turkey and helping to develop and grow it ever since also. So, you know, that's two generations working side by side for an extraordinary amount of time. He's worked at Wild Turkey for more than 40 years. Yep. As I've been counting the unofficial years growing yeah, up. Yeah, when he obviously. was playing in the warehouses. Right, and- help going to work with your dad, you know, and his, his, you know, all the time with his relatives. And now what's fascinating is that Eddie is now joined by Bruce, his son, who works at Wild Turkey and, you know, is a champion of the Wild Turkey Rye. And I know you are a big fan of, of many of their bottlings. And I am indeed. It's, it's kind of fun. It's interesting to see the intergenerational politics of Bruce and Jimmy. And, and obviously, Jimmy, bourbon is everything to him, mm-hmm. as it should be. And, and Bruce, obviously, bourbon is incredibly important. But he um, also loves their rye. And uh, it's kind of amazing to, to see the, the two of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, this is... This is how this is what I love to see in in family run businesses or yeah. you know in generations is is the continuity plus change. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, the well, evolution. We're 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 very lucky today. We are. We have got Eddie Russell as our as our special guest, and we'll be drinking as our drink of the day. Um, of course, some wild, wild turkey, turkey rare breed rye, rare breed rye, which is uh, obviously one of Eddie's um, creations. I don't know 
how you like it, but I think for this kind of whiskey for me, I like it neat. You can also put an ice cube in it as long as, you know, especially as as long as Jimmy's not around. We also have the Wild Turkey 101 bourbon. So, um, you know, we can uh, toggle back and forth the classic, between the two. Uh, uh, classics, you know. Oh, for sure. It's, I always have. I always have a couple of bottles of uh, the Wild Turkey uh, 101 bourbon, the 101 rye that they brought out a, brought back a few years ago, always in my liquor cabinet. What, what you make old fashions in Manhattan's out. Absolutely. So uh, and drink. We'll, we'll be drinking. We'll be drinking uh, both both of these throughout our episode. Um, for yourself, of course, some bourbon if you'd like. Uh, listen to our conversation with uh, with Eddie Russell. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's always fun to get on the podcast with you guys. Thank you. We, uh, I think we've been drinking Wild Turkey for oh, an embarrassing long time at this point. <laughs> uh, for you, I mean, it, I, I can't even imagine what it's it's been like. I mean, it's your whole life, Wild Turkey. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed so much. I mean, when I was younger, nobody knew who Booker, Jimmy, or Elmer any of those guys was just those guys in the industry, you know, they weren't out. Mm-hmm. Oh, people didn't know that there was actually families making it. And then when about the time I started in 1981, maybe 84 or five, Jimmy and Booker started going out on the road. They became these rock stars, you know, and it, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then to see what's transpired in the last 12 or 15 years, how much bourbon's grown and how many new consumers we have. You know, growing up, it was, you know, going to the story with Jimmy was just, I just thought it was a job to him. You know, he right. just liked to go. Mm-hmm. Turned out to be his life. I started uh, writing about the spirits and cocktails, et cetera, in like 1999. It was right before things really kicked off. And, you know, Wild Turkey was one of my first trips. You know, I met your dad there. And then uh, another trip, I met uh, Jerry Dalton. I met Booker. And, you know, Jerry Dalton wouldn't even call himself the, uh, the distiller. He said he was the plant manager. You know, yeah. he was proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> that was sort of the the mindset that you saw. I think, you know, they, they, people weren't so interested in the uh, in, in the PR. They were They were, you know, get her done. Let's let's do this job, people. And I thought I was I was I'm very pleased I got to see that that part of the uh, the industry before the hype kind of kicked in. You know, they they were the masters of what they were doing, but it's like Jimmy and Booker and Elmer. It was just part of their job because they had to run mm-hmm. the plant. You know, they had to order the grains and get the bottles and make sure everything was running. So it wasn't just making whiskey and tasting whiskey back in those days. Yeah. Do a little bit of the union negotiations, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things like that. So it's definitely changed. When you were a kid, you know, growing up right in the heart of bourbon country, did you think, seeing your dad go, you know, the distillery all the time, did you think to yourself, Eddie, like, I'm going to follow in the family footsteps and work, you know, in the bourbon industry or. No. And I think if you would talk to now, Craig Bean was a little bit different. I think he was in it from the day one, but 
you know, Fred knows been my friend forever. We both sort of had the same ideas. We were a little small town, Kentucky, you know, really without the bourbon industry, there wasn't much going on. Mm -hmm. It was like, let's get a college education and move to a big city, somewhere exciting. And, you know, I was in college and went to work basically for a summer job. Just within two or three weeks, I knew that's where I was supposed to be. You know, it was home for me. I grew up going out there with Jimmy and all the ladies on the bottle of line still thought of me as that little guy. So <laughs> it made it a little tough at the beginning, but they soon figured out that I was there to stay, you know. So it wasn't growing up thinking that. But after going there, and I think Fred would tell you the same thing, you know, he talks about different jobs he was going to do. And then his dad put him to work in the balling house. And mm -hmm. you just realize you belong there. You know, now 42 years later for me, <laughs> I guess I made the right decision. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about some of the old timers you you came across when you started working at the, at the plant. And, you know, what, what they were like, what you learned. Uh, what they talked about, things like that. Well, it was really so family-type business. And I think even like being, being as big as it was, it was still that way, you know, because you was run by a family and, you know, they seen Jimmy every single day, mm -hmm. every employee, because he was in every department. I'm not sure all of them were like that, but you know, those guys, they knew as much about the industry and as much about wild turkey than anybody did because they were in there doing it every day. You know, they knew when we were picking the wrong barrels because they might have been tasting a little bit on the side. Now, <laughs> that doesn't happen as much. You know, they sort of frown on that. But back then, I mean, and I had an old guy when I first went into the steering. He would walk around and taste the beer, three-day-old beer, before it was going to the steel. He'd sprinkle a little salt on his finger and take a little taste. He'd say, that one's going to be hotter. That one's got a little bit too much sulfide in it. You know, and wow, right on the mark. So they just were so experienced. So not only getting to learn from Jimmy, and, you know, I got to learn a lot from Booker and Elmer because they were Jimmy's best friends. But from the employees that were working there, I mean, I was just one of those guys that I just took it all in and, and kept thinking, you know, Hayes Mattingly was my supervisor when I started in the union in 1981. He was a warehouse supervisor. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a historic name. I mean, yeah. Mattingly in, in, yeah. in Berman history. I mean, and he was probably kin to him. I mean, I yeah. was a, but he just knew so much about where the good whiskey was going to be, where every floor was. And he started out telling me right off the bat, and I just, I just couldn't believe how <laughs> much they had and then how much knowledge they were willing to pass along, you know. It was different then, too, because it was primarily 101. I mean, now, I mean, thanks to you, we've Russell's Reserve, obviously, and Master's Keep and all these other wild turkey whiskeys but when you started I mean, it was which is probably the 101 bourbon and, and the rye right or were there other products well we we had the 80 proof but oh, right. 
you know, Jimmy wouldn't even drink it if he went somewhere and had 80 per <laughs> four-year-old whiskey. So I never drank a lot of it either. I tasted it, you know, when we were getting ready to put it in the barrel or take it out of the barrel. But really, it was mainly just one-on-one up until the early 90s. You know, and then Jimmy sort of did the rare breed uh, because Elmer was doing things like that. But it still wasn't a whole lot of, you know, it was all about 101. And then being able to come with Russell's. And I just think it was such a different uh, thought pattern for me versus Jimmy and those other distillers. I mean, Booker was proud of Jim being white. Like Jimmy said, 101 is the best whiskey. He didn't need nothing else. But for me, it was about, yeah, these are great products, but not everybody likes the same thing. And and it just came from talking to people. 101's too strong for that. So coming out with the Russell's Reserves, you know, a smoother, more creamier, a lot more of that toffee-type taste. And then being able to do these, <laughs> these master's keeps, and I laugh because... You know, it used to be when I would start working on something, even Russell's back when I did it for Jimmy's 45th anniversary, I would walk in his office and set a sample down and he would smell it and taste it. And I just knew by the look on his face to run or say, thank goodness. <laughs> and then, you know, in the last 10 years, it's been more of, if Jimmy says it isn't going to work, it may work, you know, because... Mm-hmm thinks the same way he always yeah. did i did the cornerstone well jimmy doesn't drink any rye he's like oh nobody wants 11 year old rye and i'm like jimmy this stuff's amazing and bruce probably taught me more about that uh different cast oh that's not what bourbon's about and it's you know for us it's not but for all the consumers doing things like that it's really special to be able to say you know, let's do this because as I've been traveling around the world, I hear people say, I'd love to try something, your whiskey in a sherry cask or mm-hmm. think about things like, you know, I'd love to do something with other distillers. Like, you know, we have Joyce Spence at, at, at Appleton. Oh, yeah. Have, you know, we have uh, our, our, our scotch whiskey, you know, so doing things like that and the story behind it. Uh, because, you know, Dennis, our, our scotch distiller, I mean, he, <laughs> Russell, he just talks in a scotch accent because he, <laughs> he, he's been in the business 50-some years. And he thinks the same way as Jimmy, that you drink it neat. I mean, when I started, a lot of the older gentlemen that Jimmy would bring in that were huge wild turkey fans, when I'd sit down and dinner with them and add ice to my whiskey, they just thought that was the worst <laughs> thing in the world, you know? And I'm like, but this is how I like it. You know, now yeah, right. more neat than I do any other way, but even cocktails, you know, our industry was never about cocktails until no. bartenders started making these incredible drinks again. Uh, the Manhattans, the old fashions, Boulevardiers, you know, those type drinks. And then, you know, we'd go somewhere. I When I first started, I'd travel with Jimmy and we'd go, say, to New York. Those bartenders knew we were coming in because it was always after work when we went to the bars. 
now we, you know, we go to the bars for work, but back then, <laughs> but they knew Jimmy was coming in and they'd make a couple of drinks. One of them be called the lunch burger or, mm-hmm. or Jimmy's this or that. And he'd poke me and say, tell him, pour me some whiskey in a glass, you know, and I just taste it. <laughs> just tell him, pour me some whiskey in a glass. <laughs> thank goodness they kept on doing it because that's brought so many new consumers into our yeah. Because, you know, I get that question all the time from young people. How do I get into bourbon? Go to your neighborhood bar. Talk to your bartender. They're so knowledgeable. Exactly. Ask them about a bourbon drink and then ask them, you know, what bourbon. Try a different one every mm-hmm. time. Don't try them all at one time. You may not. <laughs> you know, try a different one because you're going to find one that you really like and see how great flavors there there is. So it's just been amazing to see. Well, I'm I'm glad uh, that Jimmy held his nose and made all that rye back in in the in the in, in the 90s and the aughts because uh I, I was born in Pittsburgh, so I'm you know from rye country. Yeah. And uh, I was always a huge fan of the of the 101 and when Russell's Reserve Rye came out I was like a dog with two tails I mean <laughs> I was so happy you know when I came out with that in 2007 the Russell's Reserve Rye I couldn't hardly sell it though there wasn't that many people drinking and by 2009 or 10 I had to triple what we were making we were making Unbelievable. rye one or two days a year now we're making rye three or four days a month wow you know, so it's just unbelievable. That's, that's, that's amazing. Well, I, I'm having a sip of this uh, barrel-proof rare breed rye, which is pretty spectacular. I've got to say, you know, the uh, the quality is 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 still there in spades. And That's a relief to Eddie because I remember a few years ago, um, we did an event, you and me, and obviously your dad, Jimmy, your son, Bruce, who mm-hmm. is a big rye fan. And I remember Jimmy saying to to you and your son bruce saying well if eddie and bruce are wrong about this rye thing they're gonna have to drink a lot of rye those two like <laughs> and like he really meant it i mean like oh, it's like, he, like yeah and i remember at one point you know bruce who obviously you know you know he, he promotes your rye and um i think you you know jimmy ordered obviously wild turkey bourbon you ordered wild turkey bourbon or russell's reserve bruce ordered the wild turkey rye and Jimmy just gave him a very withering look, like <laughs> very confused. Like, why did you order that? Yeah, like, and, yeah, and, and Bruce was right. like, it's our rye. And it's like, yeah, why would you do that to me? Like in front of me, like, you know, it's kind of the look like you're going to drink the rye in front of me, Bruce. Like, you know, which is, <laughs> but you know, the rest of the world has obviously uh, come around. Uh, oh, we like rye. And, and, and Dave has heard this before, but one of my all-time favorite whiskeys is the original Russell's Reserve that you created. And I still have, I, I had two bottles and I went through one very quickly. I think it was like $26, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then then halfway through the second one, I was like, this is really good. Like I, I yeah. shouldn't finish both like now and i still have the half a bottle i drank my two bottles that i got sent <laughs> then i went out and bought more right. and then i kept buying more until right. i couldn't get it anymore it's, i mean it's that, incredibly that good that one world was that was that was a revelation to me i just thought when when i started that you know we were owned by a different company at that time they thought mm-hmm. was going to retire 
because he was 65 and <laughs> asked me to give a little talk and kind of wanted to put something with Jimmy's name on yeah. it. He never would let him forward. And when I got into that 10 year old, because I mean, we were about eight year old, basically, you know, yeah. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we had a 12 year old that Jimmy didn't really drink. I liked it, but that 10 year old brought those, those toffees, mm-hmm. those caramels, that mouthfeel that I really love. I mean, and just had that journey. I talk about the journey. I think that rare breed rice speaks for the journey. Yeah. It comes off yeah, in does. such a great front, a great middle. It finishes longer than most rice because most yeah. rice really it's richer. Short, yeah. And this one just sort of lingers back there. So I have a brother that, <laughs> believe it or not, he doesn't drink at all. To this day, he says that 10-year-old uh, Russell's Reserve 101 proof is the best whiskey he's ever tasted. And I can't hardly, you know, we've done some really fantastic stuff with 98 and mm-hmm. those things. We've got a couple great ones that are hitting the market now, a single Rick House series. And then we're working on a real special thing to sort of introduce Bruce. That this juice that I'm tasting is just amazing, but... Still, for an everyday drinker, you just couldn't beat that 10-year-old. I think part of it was also that it was so new to people. This, like, suddenly we're tasting, like, really fully aged, like, fully expressed uh, American whiskeys, which we hadn't really gotten a lot of. You know, and and you you taste it, it's go, whoa, you you leave it just a couple more years and it does that? Yeah. (laughs) It was exciting. I remember if everybody was like, whoa, 10 year old rye, we never had that. You know, we had old overhaul, yeah. which we were okay with. It was such a different world today than it was 10 years ago or 15 oh, years yeah. ago. I remember, mm-hmm. Eddie, once you and I were talking for a story that I was writing about used bourbon barrels. And we, and I remember you saying that, like, you couldn't give them away. Like they were like piling mm-hmm. up all over the distillery. They were in every yeah. closet. They were all, and it's just like, you know, people now it's like, I feel like Dave and I are, you know, tell people these things. It's like, they look at us like we're telling them, like we had to walk to school in like, you know, tissue boxes for shoes or something, yeah. you know, <laughs> like we didn't have, you know, like we had a horse and buggy. I mean, it, it seems so long ago that like beyond comprehension that, nobody would want used bourbon no, barrels. And the now only, like, you, you know, we, we had two sources, the scotch industry, which, you know, they were very notorious for making a lot of whiskey and then not making any in the years they didn't make any. I stacked 30 or 40,000 on the ground. I couldn't sell them for $5 a barrel. Wow. Unbelievable. Barrels. Unbelievable. And Walmart started, they would give us $10 for one and cut them in half and sell each half for $19.95 somebody <laughs> for a flower pot. You know, and what's happened in the bourbon industry has happened in the whole whiskey industry. Mm-hmm. Irish whiskeys, the Scotch whiskeys, the American single malts, all these whiskeys. I mean, I went to New Zealand and Australia and there's distilleries popping up and there was you know, had been none. And I got to go. I remember when there was not a single one. Yeah. yeah, I got to go to a few of them and say, you know, what 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 can we do? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like Jimmy, I gave him a little advice on 
you know, how to do this. Of course, you know, everybody started with those stainless steel pot steels and it's like, I understand these last a lot longer, but you need copper in that steel. <laughs> Some of those sulfides out. So, you know, so it's just been amazing to see that, which has made our barrels just, man, you just can't hardly get one. You know, you mm-hmm. somebody called and said, I need six barrels for my wedding. It's, oh yeah, just come on out. I'll give them to you now. It's like, they shoot you if you take a barrel, you know, <laughs> because Scotland wants them, Ireland wants them, yep. you know, everybody wants them, you know, so they even want to them keep- for rum, they want them for tequila, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's barrels for the whole world. Here we were in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, you have four roses, you have wild turkey, distillery. no telling how much money going into the coffers of the cities and county here, and they wanted you to sort of be out there and not talk about you because you know it was you're sort of in that Bible belt. So let's don't mm-hmm. bring it. You make bourbon in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Now it's like all they want to do is you're bringing me and the people into Kentucky through this bourbon industry. So now it's like, yeah, you're our friend now. But it's so funny to see you know our city was like. Jimmy wasn't even talked about being a bourbon maker. He was the guy that could get you a job or he kept the scorebook for the basketball team, but it wasn't. He made wild turkey bourbon. Now when he walks in town, everybody's like, there's Jimmy Russell. He <laughs> still a wild turkey, you know, yeah. so it's changed a lot. Well, did you, did you believe him when he started to tell you that like when he and Booker, no, obviously from Jim Beam, that when they were traveled together, that that they were like celebrities. Were you until like- I went, I didn't believe it at all. I didn't because when the, he would come home and he'd talk about, you know, he went to California, and if he could get ten people in a room, you know, it was amazing to listen to about bourbon or going to a liquor store and the the owner like. Oh, you don't really make this stuff. You're just a face they put out here. (laughs) And then to go with him when I started trying, I started going with him a lot in the early 2000s. And, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Japan was one of our biggest markets and always has been. Now, Australia is our biggest export market now. But we went to Japan my very first time. I think it was 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. Man, Jimmy worked from as soon as the sun come up to way after it went down. And he was back up the next morning doing the same thing. And we'd been going all day, but we had to go to this one last bar. And we get there, I'm asleep, and they poke me. There's like 20 people. And there was a whiskey magazine, I think it was, wanted to do an interview me. We get out, they got signs for the first 30 minutes, we're signing T-shirts church chairs (laughs) everything and the first thing the guy that was interviewing me said he said well what did you what was your first thought when you got out of a car and seen all this and I said my friends would be down on the floor laughing if they seen something like this (laughs) and I think that was sort of how Jimmy felt too he realized he was that rock star but he never acted like he was that rock star That's a very valuable lesson for me. Yeah. Uh, some sometime around 2004 uh, at Mount Vernon, they they set up a test still 
for uh, for for the rebuilding the George Washington Distillery, and got uh, Jimmy and Dave Pickerel and uh, Jerry Dalton and Joe Dangler. Oh yeah, and uh, I think it was Lincoln Henderson to come to come down there, and I got myself. Uh, I was working for Wine and Spirit magazine. I got myself embedded. Uh, so to speak, with that crew, which meant I, I was the guy who got the water from the creek and poured it in the uh, <laughs> hard work in the in the cooling <laughs> coil like yeah. all all day long. But uh, so I got to be a fly in the wall and and watching them, you know, they thought it was so weird that they had to do this. It was like getting five admirals in charge of a rowboat. Oh, yeah. But but the, but watching them figure it out and and kind of recover the the whole history of bourbon you know going back to the 18 18th century uh just on the spot that was that was one of the greatest things i'll ever remember but that was you know right at the beginning when 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 they were starting to be like rock stars and i, I was very starstruck i have to say but uh nobody everybody was was the nicest uh in the world we all went out and ate at uh outback steakhouse <laughs> and, uh, and the biggest problem was, you know, what to order for drinks, oh, right? Because they all wanted bourbon. They didn't want right. to like uh, they all wanted to represent, but they didn't have all all everybody's bourbon there, so it was very complicated. <laughs> but uh, was that was an amazing weekend? Yeah, they went up there, and you know, it, it was like you said. You know, you had five admirals, and they all wanted to do it their own way. So yeah. oh. I got to see the side of that. Two years later, I went back in Jimmy's place to make mm-hmm. her, but to bottle that first two-year-old. Oh, yeah. And Joe was there using his license, you know. Yeah. That Joe was an amazing guy to, to hang out with. He was, yeah. he was a real Chris gentleman. Chris Morris was there and a few oh, other Bendome yeah. people were there because they built the steel. And they had a big deal at the end where Prince Edward, came over and they gave him the eighth bottle they sold the first two bottles to the guy that does all the magazines i can't think of his name now. oh marvin shank had bought it yeah yeah, yeah yeah i was there that night too yeah, yeah yeah so it was pretty neat to do that but again when they started you know taking the cap off the steel and trying to add the ingredients yeah. All that everybody thought you had to do it their way, <laughs> so I just stood back and I, it was sort of funny. And I remember that really neat. That was quite the quite the experience, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I was there a few years later, and at that point, Jimmy and and some of the the more veteran distillers were like, "We're not doing this again." And <laughs> they pickerel rad the stills for whatever. And yeah. we were supposed to be there like for two or three days. And I spent, yeah. I think most of it just at a picnic table with Jimmy, like literally trying to pick his brain, like, right. you know, about everything. And he was kind enough. I think that was probably uh, the the alternative was to make whiskey on those stills. So it's like, I'd rather sit here and talk than, than right. make it in all of the, all of the masters. <laughs> I like the whiskey making myself. <laughs> At that point, they had they were over it. It was like you know they beat the yeah. Mount several times, and they were like, oh, "It's incredibly hard work." They were like, "Well, oh, people will do it." Like it was fine, but it was just funny. Yeah. Jimmy and I spent, I think, probably twelve hours together, which was which was fine by Amazing. me. Yeah, was, I thought uh, making whiskey the way I learned at the beginning. I, I, I was a relief operator in the steerer for a couple of years, and 
you know, you had to open gates and open valves and open tops and this and that. I thought that was hard until I actually went up there and seen what it was like. (laughs) Mashing with the rake was just crazy. You're mashing it in in, in whiskey barrels. It was like it was was 90 degrees there and the water was boiling and it's, you know, it's backbreaking work. Obviously, Bruce has followed in your footsteps. Was it something that like you were excited about, like that that you were rooting for, or you know, was that something that you didn't push? I was excited because I just think it's so special to see a family member wanting to continue that legacy. Freddie O the fourth and and Bruce, the rest of them, you know, it, it's it's a hard job. I mean. They started a little different than we did. You know, we started hands-on there in the story. They start more in the PR end of it. I, I don't think, you know, when Bruce started, he went off to Austin, Texas as a brand ambassador. And I kept trying to explain to him, Bruce, you know, people are going to think you're somebody, da-da-da. Oh, no, Dad, no, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, you're Jimmy Russell's son. I mean, people are... Well, he came back. He just he couldn't believe what people thought of. They called my dad Mimi. I always called him Jimmy, but the grandkids called him Mimi. He couldn't believe what they thought of Mimi and his dad. Uh, so it's really neat to see. I still don't think he, him, or Freddie the Fourth quite understand. It's a lifetime job. I mean, it's not, you know, for us. Now, it might be different in some of the newer, smaller distilleries where people hop around, but for us, it, it's about your legacy. It's about the generation coming up. And, you know, what I've always stressed to Bruce, don't mess with anything Jimmy's done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do what you want. You know? Exactly. Yeah, do what so you make want. More right? yeah. Make more rye. Make more rye. But don't mess well, up you don't have to worry stuff. about that. If right. it was up to him, that'd probably be the only thing. We might <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Well, it's I love Rye, but that would that would make me sad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have in store like big plans? Obviously, Jimmy is. I, I feel like every few years it's a Jimmy milestone. I have a medallion that they made at one point. They everybody, can, you know, all you know different owners of wild turkey at different points have all thought that he'd retire. Oh yeah. He, he always says, nobody told me like, I'm not going anywhere. So you have all these trinkets from over the years that they've been planning. Obviously next year or in two years will be 70 years at wild turkey, which is incredible. I mean, this is like, like a yeah. Lou Gehrig like streak or like a Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, this is up there. Like it you is. Know. I mean, and it, it's it's not fake. If you want to visit Wild Turkey, you'll probably catch yeah. a visitor center. That's that's mainly what he does anymore. But he sits in there and talks to people and signs bottles. Yeah, our company sort of was like, oh, it's Jimmy's 64th anniversary. It's his 66th. And I'm like, hold on. Every five years is all I'm going to do. I can't do one every year. <laughs> It'll keep you busy. That's all. Yeah, yeah. We might have something cool for his 70th. You know, and I, I laugh about it. I look at myself. I'm in my 42nd year. So amazing. unbelievable. It's Which in itself is, I mean, yeah, that's a hell of that's a run. A, that is incredible. I, I feel we were all much younger when we all met. 
you know, mm-hmm. probably 20 years oh, ago. Yeah. And uh, it's funny to look back. And I, I remember, I think, probably the first time, probably 01 or 2000 or 2001, Jimmy came to my office and we sat in the con- in a very proper conference room, which was, which was kind of funny, drinking bourbon. And I remember him telling me his favorite whiskey article of all time at, at that point was a review of two whiskeys. Um, and the writer loved one and hated the other. And the punchline, of course, was that Jimmy knew that the same whiskey was in both bottles. And he thought that was <laughs> hilarious, which was funny, but also I've, funny, but... I've had nightmares about that for about yeah. 20 years. But, you know, uh, never forget him uh, just yeah. laughing and slapping the table over that. Thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you hopefully over wild turkey in the near future. Uh, in uh in new york or down in kentucky which would be wonderful and uh keep a lookout for jimmy and, and bruce as they crisscross the country uh pouring uh bourbon and rye hope to see y'all at wild turkey if not i'll see you in new york mate absolutely absolutely look forward to it cheers Copyright 2023, Campari America, New York, New York. Never compromise. Drink responsibly.